morning we'll come from Exodus 5. We're going back to Exodus. It's been uh, a couple of months since we've been there. So uh, once I begin, I'll do a little refresher. I'd probably do a little refresher even if it was only a month ago. You know me. But, uh, so if you would like, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. I will be reading uh, the entire chapter. I think it's 22 verses, maybe 23. Exodus 5. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. And therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremans of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go out and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the former of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall have no means. You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So ends the reading of God's holy word. So, as you heard, this chapter really breaks down into four different conversations. We have the initial conversation between Mo- with Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh, and the second scene involves the taskmasters and the foremen in conversation with Pharaoh. And then in scene three, the foremen confront Moses and Aaron after their conversation with Pharaoh, and they have some harsh words for them. And in the closing scene, we find Moses questioning God. And we won't see God's answer until chapter 6. We're going to spend most of our time this morning focused on that first scene, Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh. And then we'll look at the final scene. So, a little background on Exodus 5. Exodus 5 is the concluding section of a section of the book of Exodus. Let me explain. In chapter 1, we found the Hebrew people enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And the population is multiplying in spite of their dire situation. There's a pattern here if we pay attention. The population is multiplying as God had promised it would. And Pharaoh takes some pretty drastic measures trying to stop it. Just as King Herod ordered the death of all the male children in an effort to kill the promised Messiah, Pharaoh orders the death of the male Hebrew children. Now we remember the story of Moses being placed in a basket, hidden in the reeds along the banks of the Nile River. And we know that God delivers Moses out of the water. And God protected Moses for 40 years in the household of Pharaoh. Not exactly the place for a Hebrew slave to grow up in, but God provided nonetheless. And then Moses had to flee Egypt. And he flees into the wilderness for 40 years for a time of preparation. And at the conclusion of that preparation, he's commissioned. God gives him a mission. I hope you're beginning to see a pattern here. The life of Moses is a picture of what Israel's about to go through in the Exodus. Yes, Moses is indeed a foreshadow of Christ, but he's also a picture of the Hebrew people. In Exodus 5, the people are on the very verge of repeating the story of Moses, but on a much grander scale. So, when we last found Moses, things went pretty well. He did as God had commanded. He returned, he met Aaron, goes to the elders, does what he's told to do. Everything had went according to plan, just like God said it would. And when they presented God's word to the people and Moses performed the task, the miracles that God sent him to do, 
Based on what Moses and Aaron saw and heard, the, the people had believed the good news of salvation. So Exodus 4 closes with this remarkable scene. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. The promise of the Exodus seems about to come true. And the children of God begin by worshiping. Now it's time for Aaron and Moses to take the show to the palace. Take the show to Pharaoh. Exodus 5 tells us what happened on this first of many encounters with Pharaoh. It is a story of very wobbly faith and a story of rebellious unbelief. Moses and Aaron were God's ambassadors. They're sent to speak on God's behalf, and they went to Pharaoh with the simple command, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. The Israelites were God's own dear children, and rather than slaving away for Pharaoh, they needed to serve their father. And so God orders Pharaoh to set them free. So can't you just imagine Moses and Aaron going in there? Everything went so good with our own people. The people that who had actually rejected Moses, the reason he fled. Oh, that went good. Just like God said it would. I'm guessing Moses, maybe with some trepidation going before Pharaoh, he's still confident. This is going to work. This is going to be good. In verse 1, it appears that Moses and, Aaron, Moses and Aaron say what God told Moses to say. But did they? Actually, Moses actually modified God's words. He didn't say, thus says the Lord. It was more, thus says Moses. And it's not until Pharaoh challenges Moses that later Moses gets to saying what God actually said um, from way back in Exodus 3, verse 18. Now, but this request isn't too unreasonable, especially in the first verse. Egyptians enjoyed time away from labors for religious purposes, time to make offerings and worship the various gods they served. And while the Egyptians certainly had a better lifestyle than the Hebrew slaves, they were still servants of the Pharaoh. Their wealth was Pharaoh's wealth. Their work was for Pharaoh's good. Like most egotistical leaders, the general sentiment might be, all of this I do for you. When in reality, it's simply a cover for all that I do, I do for me. I do for my benefit. That's the Pharaoh that we're dealing with. And everybody knows it, but no one ever challenges that. The risk is too great. So the people, even his own people, become used to suffering under a tyrant. 
a poor leader. And they become numb to the possibility of something different. But nonetheless, Pharaoh allowed the Egyptians time to worship. And why wouldn't he? After all, in the Egyptian world, Pharaoh was a god. Why wouldn't he allow the people time to stop and honor him, to adore him, to worship him? Well, he didn't see it quite the same for the Hebrews. They want to go worship this Yahweh. He didn't see it the way Moses and Aaron presented it. But there's something else missing. We know that Moses didn't exactly say what God told him to say. But he didn't do exactly what God told him to do either. Remember the burning bush in chapter 3. Moses encounters God in this bush. And this is where Moses is commissioned. With very specific words and instructions. And among those instructions found in Exodus chapter 3 verse 18. Moses was to take the elders of Israel with him when he confronted Pharaoh. I didn't read about any elders in verse 1. I read about Moses and Aaron. And of course, God gave Moses specific words. In Exodus 3.18, he says, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Moses doesn't mention three days in verse 1. He uses festival instead of sacrifice. He doesn't take the elders with him. Makes no mention of a three-day journey until Pharaoh challenges him. But even here, when Pharaoh challenges them, Moses just decides to wing it and add something new. God will strike the Israelites with, with disease or with the sword if they fail to obey. I don't know why Moses does that. I guess he's trying to convince Pharaoh, look what you're going to lose. God will strike down these slaves. I don't know. I, I, the scripture doesn't tell us what Moses is thinking. But Moses does portray God as fierce and vindictive against his own people when he says that. In a sense, Moses, with those words, makes God out to be somewhat like Pharaoh. Strike one, strike two, strike three, Moses. Things are not off to a promising start. But actually... They're starting exactly according to promise. More on that later. Pharaoh's response to Moses and Aaron. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh has thrown down the gauntlet. He has directly challenged God. Now both of the Pharaohs depicted in this Exodus story are wicked leaders. 
self-serving, self-aggrandizing. It's all about me. It's my mission. Your job is to serve my mission. But have Pharaoh's always been this way? What do we know about Pharaoh's prior to the Pharaoh's and uh, the Pharaoh of Exodus 5? This is the fourth Pharaoh we've seen in God's story so far. The first Pharaoh we see actually enriched Abraham, gave him riches for Sarah's sake. Abraham lied to the Pharaoh about who Sarah was. So Pharaoh calls him, her, to be one of his women. And he suffers for it. And then when he realizes this Abraham serves the God of a great God, he enriches Abraham and he sends him away. And he rebukes Abraham. And he's not the first pagan in the pages of Scripture to rebuke one of God's people for God's people's failure to obey basic moral standards. Then there's the Pharaoh of Joseph's day. Now Joseph started off in a rough way with the Egyptians. But Pharaoh acknowledged that God had his hand on Joseph. And he endowed Joseph with surpassing skills. And in appreciation, the Pharaoh rewarded Joseph handsomely. So well that the people of Israel are called to Egypt during a time of famine. And that same Pharaoh proves remarkably hospitable toward Jacob and the whole family of Joseph. The children are welcomed into Egypt. They're given asylum. And when Jacob died in Egypt, this Pharaoh not only permitted the Israelites to leave the country and go to Canaan for his funeral, but he honored their dead ancestor with what seemed like an Egyptian state funeral, attended by representatives of the royal court. How different than the third Pharaoh, who either knew nothing about Joseph or certainly felt no obligation to him or his people. He enslaved the people. And then we have this fourth Pharaoh who comes to power after the previous Pharaoh dies. If his predecessor didn't know Joseph, this one doesn't know Yahweh. His words, I don't know the Lord, become the trigger for the entire next section of the book of Exodus. Educating Pharaoh will be a major subject of the whole narrative between Exodus 7 and 14. And by the time Moses and his sister Miriam sing their songs on the other side of the sea, this Pharaoh will know more about Yahweh than he ever cared to know. His profession of ignorance is an unprecedented act of rebellion. Not since the Garden of Eden has a human so willfully heard God's voice and simply refused to obey it. I don't know who he is. I won't let the people go. 
There are other stories of wickedness, human wickedness, throughout the pages of Scripture. None of them quite raised to this level of barefaced confrontation with the living God. In the course of the Bible's larger story, this act of resistance, which is also the first act of Pharaoh's heart hardening, constitutes kind of a, it's a bad start for Pharaoh, but it's a good start in the tale of God's redemption. It's all going to end in tears for Pharaoh and his people. But it also forms the backdrop to the greatest act of redemption in history prior to the death and resurrection of Christ. We see over the course of the history that the pharaohs, the leader of the nations, become more and more wicked as time passes on. More and more focused on their own glory, their own desires, their own pleasure. Less and less concerned for the people they were to lead and serve. Here's an interesting fact about pharaohs. The discovery of King Tut's tomb. Probably everybody in here has heard the story of King Tut. That was a, a museum show that traveled around the world. And part of this, in this discovery, we've learned a lot of fascinating things about pharaohs. A lot of things were preserved. For example, the sarcophagus of King Tut. We would call it a coffin, but the um, pharaohs were mummified and then they were buried in a, um, in a case that resembled their bodies. So that if you're looking at it, you're kind of looking at an animated picture of the living Pharaoh. It's a picture, if you will, of the king in full royal dress, including the headdress, complete with two snakes on top of the headdress. The snake, incidentally, in the Egyptian culture, obviously is a sign of royal authority. Interestingly, in the hands of King Tut, draped across his chest, in one hand is a flail or a whip. You would expect that from a pharaoh. In the other hand is a shepherd's hook. Pharaoh was the leader and the protector of the nation of Egypt. He was their shepherd, hence the shepherd's hook in King Tut's hands. And here we have Moses, who's been in the wilderness for 40 years. What was he doing out there? He was a shepherd. And so now God's shepherd is confronting the world's shepherd, Pharaoh. This cosmic battle of the two seeds. And Pharaoh has something else to say to Moses. In Exodus 5, verses 4 through 6, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. 
this response is so packed with symbolism. Pharaoh meant what he said, but he has no idea what he's saying. No idea. It's important for us to remember that Exodus is a continuation of Genesis. And the beginning of Genesis contains the creation account. Here in Exodus, God is about to begin the reverse of the curse from the garden. He's about to make a new creation out of Israel. This new nation. God will have a new people and he will give them a land like a garden flowing with milk and honey. There will be a sacrificial system put into place. Repentance will become an important thing. Worshiping God, the true God, will again become paramount. And God being present with his people will be the cornerstone of these promises. He will give the people rest. Note Pharaoh's words. Moses, why do you take the people away from their work? Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The word rest that Pharaoh uses is the same Hebrew word, sabbat, from which we take the word Sabbath. It's the same word from Genesis, Sabbath. I hope you see that behind God's command for the people to be let go, that they might come and sacrifice to Him, to worship to Him, lying underneath that is the idea of Sabbath rest. And so Pharaoh sends Moses and Aaron away. Done with them. Get out of here. And that same day, he orders the taskmasters and the foremen to multiply the work. The labors of the Hebrews. Don't give them straw. They would have to go out and scrape the ground. They would have to work among the thorns and thistles by the sweat of their brow to gather what they needed each day. Pharaoh is moving the people away from any type of rest from their burdens. He refuses to allow God's people a Sabbath rest. And the news is not received well by the people, and the foreman return to argue the case to Pharaoh that his actions are unjust. And like most tyrants, the words fall on deaf ears. It's Pharaoh's way or no way. And sometimes in our modern world, it feels futile to complain about a wicked leader because the consequences can be quite severe. Or the words fall on deaf ears. So then the foremen turn on Moses and Aaron. It's all your fault. You have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. This is a phrase similar to one that Moses will hear over and over and over again as the people are eventually set free. Dejected. Hobbling with wobbly faith, Moses turns to the Lord and says, Why? Why, God? Why did you ever send me? I spoke to Pharaoh in your name, and in turn he has done evil to this people. And God, he never lifted a finger. 
you have not delivered your people at all. You and I might ask those same questions if we were in Moses' shoes. Perhaps, privately, we may have asked those questions of God before in our own circumstances. Moses had either forgotten all that God had told him, or he simply chose to believe that God would do things the way Moses thought they should be done. God told Moses that Pharaoh would not let the people go. He told Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart so that he wouldn't let the people go until God compelled him to. You know, sometimes people cringe at the very idea that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we'll later see in the Exodus story that Pharaoh also hardens his own heart. Just like people who continually reject Christ as Savior because of the hardness of their own hearts. And yet, behind that hardness, God's sovereign election is at work. Pharaoh rejected God's commands because he wanted to. He refused God because what God commanded didn't line up with Pharaoh's desires. Pharaoh did exactly as he pleased, just like those who reject Christ. God grants them their wish. He turns them over to their wicked desires. But God can work through those who reject him. See his response to Moses, his complaint in Exodus 6.1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with the strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And later in the Exodus story, God will expand his reasons for doing what he's due. These things that he will do to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt in the coming chapters will be so that the nations will know that I am God. I am the true king. There are none other. They're mere men, or stones, or wooden poles. God has a reason for everything He does. And that includes the difficult times in the lives of His children. And just as pharaohs eventually can become bad leaders and tyrants, the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, would also turn their backs on God. They would seek after their own desires and glory and abuse the very people they were called to serve. In the prophets, we hear God's harsh words against these shepherds that have strayed. Pastor Keith showed us this last week in Zechariah. God had a harsh word to say about those leaders. In this world that seems to be reeling out of control today, we face tyrants in all manners of shapes and forms. Many of us have worked for a tyrant. Some of you might still work for a tyrant. Some of you have lived with a tyrant. We encounter pharaohs in government positions. We might even have pharaohs in our own families. People we're supposed to be able to trust. Sometimes even people we care for deeply. People whose actions cause our faith to wobble as they pursue their own desires and glory 
instead of the good of others. You might even have a little Pharaoh in you. I know there's a little Pharaoh living in me. You know, the 23rd Psalm is often read at funerals. And for a good reason. It's a psalm that offers tremendous words of comfort. That psalm is also not just for funerals. It's for you and I right now. When we encounter the pharaohs of the world. Hear the words of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a psalm that speaks about the good shepherd, not the wicked shepherd. My shepherd, your shepherd, if you belong to Christ. Pharaoh says, do not give them rest from their burdens. The good shepherd says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. All of us at times are subject to being rebellious. Little pharaohs. Pursuing our own wants and desires. Sometimes at the expense of others. And our faith can get a little wobbly when we start to act like Pharaoh. Or when we encounter the pharaohs of life. But just remember, being a Pharaoh does not come without consequences. The scriptures are full of examples of those who rebel against God. And Pharaoh is a great example. As we depart here today from this glorious special time of being in God's presence, in His presence, to worship Him, to be nurtured and sustained by Him, to be reminded that He is the great King, that He has conquered the world, that through Christ He has overcome sin and death. To be reminded once again that He has made you His treasured possession. May the Holy Spirit remind you of these things as you walk out that door today. As you walk back into that crazy world that we are sojourners in. That crazy world so full of pharaohs. Be reminded that you serve the good shepherd. The shepherd who does not fail his flock. The shepherd who promises a Sabbath rest. Today and each Lord's Day represents a picture for us of that eternal rest promised to come. And I'll close this morning with the promise God gave Moses and the people of Israel when things seemed very dark 
Pharaoh had increased his oppression of the people. And Moses complains to God, you haven't delivered these people. And God says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Just like Moses, just like Israel, your ancestors, if you belong to Christ, you were born into a hopeless situation. You were born in sin. In God, through His divine election, called you and said, this one is mine. And He forgave you of that sin that imprisoned you. And He delivered you through the waters of baptism. And He nurtures you and I as we're in exile, as we're sojourners. And He has made a way, a sacrificial way, for us to enter the land that is promised to us in biblical revelation. Leave here today full of hope and joy. Think of the songs we sang this morning. Think of Julia's beautiful song. He is worthy. We are not. But he said, this one is mine. Father, thank you for your word. May you write these words on our hearts and minds. May your word have its way in our lives. And may we be forever changed by the things your word has to say to us. In Christ's name, amen.